Morning, everybody. Pastor Phil here once again at New Life in Christ Church in Cedar Creek, Texas. And once again, we want to welcome you to our online service. It's so good to uh, have those of you tune in who are able to. And uh, uh, we just uh, really enjoy being able to minister to you in this way. It's an honor. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want to find out more about us, you can check our website, which is nliccedarcreek.org. Uh, there you can also find a link back to back to here to subscribe to the YouTube page or you can find a link to our Facebook page. Um, you can you can like that and and uh, help help us reach more people that way. Um, we have three new ways to give now, which is uh, the first way would be texting, which we have the number up on the screen. Uh, then there's also the option to click the link in this this uh, video's description uh, below the video or you can mail in uh, any any gifts you've prayed about to give in the uh, mail, which our mailing address will be on the screen. And also, um, we have lots of prayer requests coming in, but uh, still, we would love to pray with you and, or pray for you uh, as, as uh, you uh, send those to us. Also, again, if, if people have been calling and asking questions, and that's good, um, if, you, if you call or leave a, a, a you or you send a message requesting prayer a, and you don't specifically ask for a callback, we might not necessarily call you back because we don't have regular office hours and sometimes it's difficult to get our people on that uh, because we have lots of other stuff going on so you if just wanted to let you let you know that just put that out there um, so anyway let's go ahead and pray and get into worship father god we thank you once again for your presence and i thank you lord for what you are doing here in the states and uh, abroad all over the world world lord we ask for even more signs, wonders, and miracles for your people to be able to minister and work. And uh, Lord, just that continued revealing of your glory in the earth, that expression of your excellence to people so they can taste and see that you are good. And we thank you for uh, everything you do for us, Father, and uh, we just seek to worship you now and engage you on a heart-to-heart -heart level. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God.
you are, Lord, when your people pray. When they cry out to you. When they rely on you. How pleased you are when we lean not on our own understanding. When we lean on your understanding. You're pleased because in that moment we've drawn near. Draw near to your presence, Lord. Draw near to your heart.
Your seek you, Lord, when I seek you with my whole heart, you always lead me, with your
even in the darkness, you make a way, Lord, for the love to shine through. Oh, the light to shine through again.
you, Lord. You never know who's watching. If you're watching and you (laughs) said in your heart, man, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Maybe don't even fully understand what kind of freedom Jesus offers. But it has caught your attention. The only way to describe it is when you experience his freedom, freedom from your past, freedom from every wrong thing you know you've done. That freedom only comes in Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead. You are saved. That Greek word for saved means saved, healed, and delivered, set free. I felt led to sing that. You know, we, we as believers, it's important for us. And we'll talk about it later, but it's important for us to continually make that confession, not because not because you know we, turn, we wake up one day and we're no longer saved, because the word says to hold fast the confession of our faith. The first confession I ever made, and first confession of faith I ever made toward God, true confession, was that Jesus is my Lord. And when I did that, I believed in my heart that God had risen him from the dead. And there you are. It's that simple. That's the easy part. The hard part comes after you've accepted him and you have to answer his call to live for him. And yes, it's hard, but it is totally worth it. Totally worth it. Amen. Let's get into this now.
shouldn't say, <clears throat> I shouldn't say, let's get into this. We're already in this. <laughs> let's see how. Testing one, two. Can you hear me? That, testing one, two. Is that better? Testing one, two. Having technical difficulties. There we go. I can hear myself now. Technical difficulties. It's because I, I make the mistake of pulling my whole ear over and my ear is soft. So. I think it's right, and then when I let go of it, my ear goes back, and then the <laughs> then the microphone is far. Okay. Like I said, we're already in this. Um, let's pray before we get into this. Lord, I ask for your help. I ask for your assistance as we open this word, and Lord, I thank you so much for this privilege to do your work, to speak your words. So I do my best, Lord, to speak them the way you want them spoken. And I ask that you would help me to do so and help all of our hearts to understand these things, help us to receive these. The word said, uh, Paul, uh, in a prayer wrote, I pray, I, I, I always pray that the Lord give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Lord, we ask for that now. I ask for all of us who are involved in this sermon, who are, who are, who are involved in this message and listening to this and um, taking part in this. I just ask, Lord, that you would give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that we can really get hold of what it is that you desire to speak to us today. So I yield to you and ask that you take this any direction you wish. And I thank you, Father, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I said, yeah, we're, we're, we're already in this. Let's just see how deep this goes. Let's turn over to the book of Acts, if you will. Acts, chapter 1. And, uh, you know, we are again talking about the end times. Um, you may remember that when we first started this Discussion is really what it is. It's a discussion. I wouldn't call it a study. I wouldn't call it a teaching per se. Uh, those are more specialized. Really, this is just a, a discussion, just kind of a talking out of the end times. And uh, you may remember when we first started this, it's, it's uh, that we looked at this particular scripture here where Jesus, after he rose from the dead and he, and he gave the great commission to the church, um, that Great Commission pertains to the end times because he said, you know, this is to the end of the earth. Actually, when he said, you'll be my witnesses to the end of the earth, you know, if you look that up in the Greek, it has to not only deals with uh, space, it also deals with time. You know, and he had told us earlier that he's with us to the end of the age. So this, this commandment that he gives us here, it applies all the way through to the end times. And, uh, you know, I make mention of that because it's extremely important that we get a hold of what Jesus was talking about here because he made it clear that what we do in the earth should resemble what he did here, what he started here. Many Christians have sort of formalized Jesus, uh, and in, in doing that, what they did is they, 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 they formalized, a lot, a lot of people like such dignified Worship. I heard. I heard an English minister say one time. He said, "We love our we love our services to be dignified, but you know, you get into a, a service where God takes over, and it's not always dignified. You know, um, that's you know maybe one part, but that's just that's just one facet. 
you know. So in doing this, many Christians have formalized who Jesus is by emphasizing his sovereignty, which he is, he is sovereign. He is awesome and mighty. But in, in downplaying, a lot of times in doing that, they downplay the miraculous side of his interaction with us. Because, you know, you can, you can read through the Gospels and see, yeah, Jesus did miraculous things. And he, did, he, he worked miraculous things to the people, the lost, who were, who were looking for God. But he also, um, he also has a miraculous side with how he deals with us, the church. And, you know, the church has done a good job of, of talking about how Jesus rose from the dead, which is certainly miraculous. But, for, but they forget a lot of times that Jesus actually underscored his final days on earth with the miraculous too. Beyond just the resurrection, it was certainly tied to that, but um, the disciples became, I mean, they were already used to seeing the miraculous with Jesus in his earthly ministry, but then after he rose from the dead, they once again had to become acquainted with this miraculous interaction that he has with his church. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I say that because, you know, I, I found in my own Christian walk that sometimes you have to relearn something. You know, you, you get, it's like you, it's like you are, you learn something about God and you, many years later, he may begin to show you that again. And you're like, why, why are you bringing this to my attention again? Because he's try, you're, you're relearning it in the sense that you're learning it on a larger scale. Because God is so big and he is so infinite, you know. So, Looking here in uh, verse 1 of Acts 1, we're going to read down to verse 3. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And there's a few things that, that uh, I, I want you to kind of take that phrase, kingdom of God, and kind of log that away because we're going to talk about that in more detail later. But first of all, he, he says that after he rose, he revealed himself to the disciples uh, over a period of 40 days. This wasn't just the... This wasn't just the um, you know, 11 disciples that were left, Judas had gone away. It wasn't just the 11 disciples. There was other people that, would, that followed Jesus. He had more other disciples than just the 11 who were with him pretty much wherever he went. But uh, so he's, he's appearing to all of this, this group of people, over a period of 40 days. By, it says, many infallible proofs. So that speaks to the supernatural to me. Just seeing him risen from the dead would be a supernatural experience. It's like, whoa. You're back again. You rose from the dead. You know, we saw you die. And here you are. So it was important, apparently, to Jesus that the disciples become fully convinced, fully convinced and comfortable with the fact that he had risen from the dead. You know, when Paul preached this same message to the Greeks in Athens, many of them stopped listening when he got to the part about the resurrection of the dead because to the natural mind of man, it's impossible for anyone to come back from being dead. But God's desire is for people to get out of that mindset 
and be fully conformed to the mind of Christ. Which, if you go back in the Gospels and spend time meditating on the teachings of Jesus, you'll see that what motivates him, what amazes him, what drives him is, is completely different than what all of mankind is born focusing on. You know, I, I mentioned that amazed. It's difficult sometimes to think of Jesus being amazed by something. There are only two instances in which Jesus was amazed, or it says he marveled. Both of those times had to do with faith. One of them was in his own hometown because the people there had a lack of faith. Or they had a faith deficit, if you want to put it that way. The other was with the Roman centurion who had great faith. The only way to be saved is to believe in Jesus by faith. This is why he spent those 40 days presenting himself alive to the apostles, to build their faith. Because he had work for them to do, and that work that they were to do was to be done by faith. If they were going to convince other people in the world that Jesus indeed had died for their sins and then risen again in order to bring that same resurrection power to anyone who would say out loud that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, as we've said many times today. And after we do that, after we've done that, that, that resurrection power that Jesus has is now in us. Keep a bookmark here if you can and turn with me one book from here to Romans chapter 8. Just one book over to Romans. Now, um, don't be concerned. We are, we are still talking about the end times. You know, it may seem odd. It may seem like we're not really, but um, you'll see why we're doing it this way as we uh, get into this. So uh, I'm going to read, uh, actually, I'm going to read this passage out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, because it puts it in simplified language for clarity when it's read out loud. It's designed to be read out loud. And I'm going to uh, make what might seem like an odd request to you. But I'm doing it this way because I feel in my heart that this is the way it's to be taught. So if you have a translation other than the NLT, my request is don't try to read along. Because that can, that can be distracting as you're trying to um, you know, read and also listen to two different translations. So just, just my request is just listen and let the word, let God's word explain things to your heart. And don't worry if you're not an auditory learner. Just, just ask the Lord to help you get a hold of it. And he will. Okay, here we go. Romans 8, talking about God's resurrection power in us. Starting with verse 1. Listen to this. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. That leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's where that freedom comes in. That's the freedom that God gives Freedom from sin's control over us. He did this 
so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there just for a second. That, that phrase, us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, that phrase in another translation reads like this, who do not walk according to the lusts of the flesh. The flesh has everything to do with how the world thinks, what the world speaks, and how the world acts. The world's way of living fights against how Jesus tells us to live. And it all starts with how we think, because Thoughts always go before actions. They must. This is why the Word tells us that we have the mind of Christ, to put on the mind of Christ. That's why Jesus told people, repent, change your inner self, break away from how you were raised, abandon what you were taught by mankind, and instead take up my way of thinking, my way of speaking, my way of doing things. Lay all the past down. Don't think that way anymore. Change your inner self. That's Jesus' call to us. And you know, that's a hard thing for people to swallow if they love the ways of the world. So, what will they choose? The more effective the church is in spreading the gospel, the easier it will be for people to make the right choice. Didn't say they will make the right choice, but it's easier for them if the church makes an effort at being more and more effective at preaching Jesus. Because if the world, if the people, lost people in the world see for themselves the power of God in the lives of believers, it will challenge how they think more dynamically, more often, more profoundly. It will give them pause to consider Jesus as the Messiah and his offer to be their personal Savior. This is why we emphasize the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and the power that rose him from the dead. I'm going to read the next couple of verses so we can see one of the key ingredients in enduring through the end times because it's important that we run our race well to please the Lord as good soldiers of Christ as Paul told Timothy, verses 5 and 6, say, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Okay, so even in the middle of the persecution and hardship that we read about in the end times, this life and peace is available to those who allow the Holy Spirit to direct their thinking. When it says that the Holy Spirit, that, we, that, you're, that you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about control in the sense that he is forcing his control. Because, you, you, you know, it said there, so letting, so, or, or but letting the Spirit control your mind. He's not really thinking for you. He's really just directing your thoughts if you allow him to. He's a gentleman. He won't force you 
to think any way you don't want to. That's why the word says to renew your mind. We do that. We renew our mind by reading the word. Okay, so now I want to kind of direct our attention back to this idea of life and peace. Okay, so for those of you who have done any study on the end times, how many of you, and just, I mean, I know you can't answer me because this is, you know, this is uh, not live, but how many of you, think about it, have heard a lot of teaching, when, when hearing teaching on the end times, have heard a lot of teaching about peace during the end times, peace for the individual during the end times? Do teachers who specialize on the end times talk about peace for the believer through all the trials and persecutions? They should be doing that because before Jesus went to the cross, he told us, my peace I give you. He knew that we would need his peace through trials. If we weren't going to go through trials, we wouldn't really need the peace. We talked about this before. It's peace in the middle of the storm, having peace in the middle of the storm that can catch people's attention. You remember during that one storm that Jesus' boat was in, he was asleep during the wind and the waves. And the disciples woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? You remember that Jesus asked them why they were afraid before he calmed the storm? That's his peace. That's the quality of peace that Jesus had. He was confident that nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling the call God had put on his life. That is the same peace he gave us to cooperate with through whatever amount of the end times we experience. Letting the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead direct our thoughts leads to life and peace, the word said. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See how both of these verses deal with the mind? You know, I mean, if I, if I allow the Holy Spirit to direct my thoughts, he, that leads to life and peace. If my mind is stayed on God, he will keep me in peace. So if you want peace during this whole pandemic crisis going on right now, use this time to stay your mind on God. Anchor your thoughts on Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct your thoughts, affect your thoughts. Practice trusting in God. You have to practice trusting in God. It takes time to learn to trust Him. Practice it. Use this crisis to practice trusting in God. If you do that continually, you will eventually begin to notice that He is keeping you in perfect peace. He keeps you there. It's peace that tells your heart, God's with me. God's got this. No matter what I see, no matter what I go through, God is with me and God is working for me. Because really, what all this comes down to are the basic needs of life. People in the world have no peace because they're constantly worried about making ends meet. They're, constant, they're worried about the job interview. They're worried about the big uh, business meeting. 
They're worried about the water being shut off, the power being shut off. They're worried about these things. How can they be in peace when they're worried about these things? These are things that they need. And they're concerned that they will not get them. People are consumed with how are we going to get what we need to live. We can see all those cares. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears a little bit and start talking about a little bit about the end times. Well, we are talking about the end times, but, uh, but kind of zero in a little bit. We're going to see all those cares that people in the world have and how they funnel into the decision that many people worry about in the end times. There's one decision that many people worry about when they hear the word end times or the last days or the tribulation. And, and, you know, this is just personal experience. I've seen many people worry about this decision. All right, so turn with me. We're going to take a look at it. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Someone said, finally, we've been talking about the end times for weeks, and we're finally going to go over to the book of Revelation. Well, don't get comfortable. We're not digging in here. Revelation 13. Hmm. So here in this 13th chapter of Revelation, the word talks about, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of this chapter, chapter 13. Uh, it talks about the beast, meaning the Antichrist, and then another beast, which is the Antichrist prophet. Remember, Satan always seeks to mimic or counterfeit the things that God does. You may remember, you know, when God, told, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he told Moses, you will stand in the place of God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your, your prophet. God also showed that pattern to his people during the kingdom period in Israel. There would be a king to govern and then the prophet who would proclaim God's word to the people. Here in Revelation, the Antichrist is simply counterfeiting God's pattern in order to make his authority seem genuine. He's a liar. Okay, so the, but, the, but the main reason, that's just an overview. The main reason we came over to this chapter was to look at why people will yield to the Antichrist's authority. Okay, look with me at verse 16. It says, he causes all, that's the prophet of the beast, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We're not going to get into the number itself, but... The reason that, that, that I brought us here is because we're talking about how people in the world, and, and, and you know, many Christians too, are worried about the needs of life. How are we going to get what we need to survive, okay? And what happens is, is, this, is the Antichrist, when he rises into power, he gives everyone an ultimatum. Either take this mark or you won't be able to buy or sell. So there will be a large group of people that actually are convinced that the Antichrist is the real deal, that he's actually the Messiah, which he's not. But the rest who take the mark will do so for practical purposes in order to get what they need to live because they, they won't want to give up the ability to buy or sell. And, you know, I remember growing up and being in great fear of this because if, you know, I think, well, if we refuse the mark and can't buy or sell, how are we going to... How are we going to buy things to eat or drink? You know, how, 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 you know, uh, you know, I mean, how are we going to be able to survive? And, you know, we talked about that last week in the puzzle of life. All of God's promises endure through the end times. Jesus told us, he, he said, whatever, you know, whatever you need, 
ask and, and receive, you know, ask and believe that you receive and, and you'll have it. He said, well, and then he also told us, ask the Father in my name and he'll give you what you need, you know? So, and then and Jesus also told us, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. We have, until the end of the age, until the end of, of the tribulation, God's promises are with us. God knows that we need things to eat, drink, and wear. And he has already made provision for those things. So let's turn back there and see what Jesus says about this. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Hey, turn right there, all right. So when you get here, you know, we're going to look at this. And this, I'm going to give you another request because, you know, uh, many of us who have, who have spent time in church have, have probably um, read this passage before. That, that Jesus did. If you, if you if you haven't, it's not you know. Don't worry about that. That's not that's not. We all have to start somewhere. But um, when as we read this, okay, this time, what I want you to do is I want you to, as we read it, look at it through that the light that people in the world this this whole mark of the beast thing that that people will take the mark simply because they are afraid that they won't be able to provide for their family. Okay, so I want you to to just look at it through that in light of that. Okay. So verse 22 in Luke 12 says, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So I want you to notice something. God freely provides for members of his household who are mindful of his kingdom, who seek his kingdom. We in America may have a hard time relating to the idea of a kingdom because we have a democracy. Our life and laws are based on what the majority wants. If the majority of people are moral, we'll live a pretty good life. If the majority don't know right from wrong, we will have a bad life. But in a kingdom, the lives of the people are based on who their king is. If you go back and read First and Second Kings, you'll, you'll notice that when the king was bad, the people had a difficult life. But when the king was good, they lived in peace and prosperity. Jesus just described what it's like to be a part of God's kingdom. And from the picture he gave, that's a pretty good life if God is our king. 
But notice the parallel in how the Antichrist leads his kingdom. Take this mark on your hand or forehead. Identify yourselves with me or you will not be able to buy and sell. Let's see how you feed your families without me. See how cruel Satan really is. His approach is always to force people to submit to him. God runs his kingdom with generosity. The word says he is kind to both the wicked and the good. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust. He provides for people who don't even know him. He's generous, and he's patient with people in their choice of whether or not they will repent. In the end, there are two kingdoms we can choose to be a part of, only two. Jesus' promise in verse 31 here is the best promise there is. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. This was his whole approach to life and ministry. As, as a member of God's kingdom, seek to advance the interests of God's kingdom, and then all you need will be added to you by God. Compare that with the motive of the people who will take the mark of the beast. In order to get what they need for the body, they will submit to the Antichrist as their provider. But over in God's kingdom, he is our provider. And as we seek to win people to Christ, he will continue to provide for us through any time span we spend in the end times. Because there's some debate about how long the church will be here. None of that really matters as long as we are seeking first the kingdom of God. That means we're interested in what he's interested in, in whatever moment we're in. So you can see that God's plan is for us to get people who are stuck in the world's way of acquiring things. Why are, they gonna, why are many people going to take the mark? Simply because they'll see no other alternative to how they can get what they need. That is the way that they think. There's no other way. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah, there is. There's another way. We're, tr we're trying to get them to change the way that they think so that they can see that God is willing to provide for the needs that they, they, that they have. In verse 30, Jesus said, For all these things the nations of the world seek after, that dominates the minds of the lost. Remember we talked about what's dominating our thought life, what's dominating our, our mind is, 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 am I allowing the sin nature to dominate my mind or am I allowing the Holy Spirit to direct my thoughts? You know, but, but that, the sin nature is what dominates the minds of the lost. You know, so with how they've been trained in, out in the world. How do I get what I need? How do I get the things that I want? Jesus said, don't seek after food. Don't seek after drink. Seek the kingdom of God. It's a totally different approach. And, you know, we can't look down on people for looking at it the wrong way. I mean, it's how they've been trained to think. It's how they've been raised. We probably thought that way at some point. Before we accepted Christ, did we have any other way to think? So it's our goal to show them God's way of thinking the same way that someone did it for us. Notice Jesus said, don't have an anxious mind. We've said this to you many times. When, when Jesus walked the earth, he was never anxious. He was never in a hurry. He never worried whether or not the Father was going to provide for his needs. Why? Because he was doing the work of the kingdom. You know, his command to not have an anxious mind bears witness with those famous verses in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's that peace again. Why is that so important? If you follow the instructions of the verse, it says that, the, that God's peace will guard your heart and mind through Christ. Unbelievers will be astonished by the storms you'll get through if you, follow, if, you, if you follow this principle that God gives us. They will wonder how you won't crack under all the pressure of life. They will watch everything you do because unlike them, you're not concerned with getting things to eat, drink, or wear, and yet your needs will still be provided for. And imagine, okay, just imagine, if on top of all of that, they see God work miracles through you. Take a minute and think about what happened to Paul the Apostle on his way to Rome. He's arrested for his faith in Jesus. He's put on a ship that experiences tough weather, and so they pull into a port, but the crew doesn't want to spend the winter there because it's a bad place to winter, so they get ready to set sail, and Paul tells them, hey, I can tell that if we put out to sea, there will be much loss of cargo and maybe even of our lives. But they don't listen, and they end up being thrown off course by a storm that holds them captive for many days. They throw the cargo overboard, they try to make it to land, but they can't get out of the storm. And then Paul tells them, Basically, y'all should listen to me in the first place. But then he says, but take heart, because my God, whom I serve, has let me know that even though the ship will be lost, we're all going to be okay. He said, he's granted to me, all of you on board with me. Apparently, Paul was asking to save them too. And then, you know, if you remember the story, the ship runs aground on the island of Malta. And when they, they count the people who made it to shore, they find that Paul was right. Every one of the people on board the ship made it to shore. They had believed Paul in the storm because the storm did not take away his peace. You know, and then while they're on the, on the, on the beach making, making a fire, a venomous snake comes out of the firewood, bites Paul's hand. Did he panic? No, it says he just shook the snake off into the fire. The natives thought he was going to drop dead from the venom, but Paul just sat by the fire with no problem. It's a miraculous sign that followed a believer. Jesus said, "My, you know, those who believe in me, one of the things is that they'll take up serpents. In other words, a serpent's venom won't harm them. I mean, we don't go looking to get bit by, by venomous things. That, that just, that's just foolish. That's tempting God. But if you happen to get, see, Paul happened to get bit by this viper. He's just minding his own business. Survives a viper bite with no problem, just sits there by the fire. And then, you know, as a result of that, they, it's impl- they, that they, they were invited to the house of the guy in charge of the island, the Roman official. Paul found out that this guy's father was in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for the man, laid hands on him in Jesus' name, and he was healed. When everyone heard about it, people from all over the island with diseases came and they were healed. Imagine the impact, not only on the people who came to get healed, but imagine the impact it had on the people who were in the boat with Paul on the way there. After all they had seen, do you think it maybe had an impact on the way they thought about things? Maybe they started thinking, wow, maybe this guy knows something we don't know. How was Paul able to do these things? By the leading of the Holy Spirit. He had put on the mind of Christ. God kept him in perfect peace. 
He relied on God for everything. And after Paul got to Rome, he spent two years waiting for his trial with Caesar, preaching and, and teaching people about Jesus. No one stopped him. That's the favor of God. And then, yes, eventually, many years later, Paul was martyred, but not before he finished his course and accomplished the work God called him to. He wrote to one of the churches and said, I have finished my race. This is the type of thinking we are called to. It's the type of thinking that will aid us most in enduring the end times. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to toughen up as believers. We need, to, we need to get into shape. We need to toughen up spiritually. Now remember that Paul didn't just endure those things with the peace of God. He walked in the power of the Holy Ghost. Because again, the question I asked before I started the story was, what if on top of walking in God's peace, people saw God work miracles through you? If you still have your bookmark, turn with me back to Acts chapter 1. Now, when we first came to this passage today, we read about Jesus appearing to the apostles over this 40-day period. Let's pick up back in verse 4, right where we left off. Verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This power he's talking about is the same power Paul operated in with all those miracles I talked about. The Greek word used for power there is dunamis. It's where we get our modern word for dynamite. That's the kind of power Jesus was talking about in a spiritual sense. Now, if you um, don't know a lot about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's fine. You can ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit anytime. Remember when John the Baptist spoke about it. He was talking about Jesus. He said, he who comes after me, I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to, to carry his sandals. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus said, he told them there, he says, for not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Who was going to do that? Him. <laughs> Him. So, you know, if you are unsure about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I sense in my heart maybe that somebody's out there that has maybe heard some negative things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you know Jesus and you, you trust Jesus, if you ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, do you think he's going to give you a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit? Just ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and believe that you receive. Moving on, because that's not what we were talking about today, but if there are people out there that needed that, you understand now. If you go back and you read 
why Paul went through all of that stuff in that last part of Acts. You'll see why, or you'll see that he walked through all of that with a kingdom mindset. Remember, Jesus said that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all we need will be added to us. It wasn't just food and clothing that God added to Paul during that journey, because he did. If you read through the, the read in between the lines, and even in some cases, you'll see that Paul had everything he needed. Food, clothing, water, it was all provided for him. Even though he was in the middle of persecution and being taken to Rome as a prisoner. And so, you know, it wasn't just those things that God provided. You, you also see that God provided miracles that were needed. The power of the Holy Ghost to cancel out the snake venom. The miraculous healing for people on the island who needed to hear the message of Jesus for salvation. God provided those things for Paul's ministry, not to make Paul feel good about himself or to make him seem great to these people, but to glorify Jesus through Paul. See, Paul was obedient to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but he himself could not do anything miraculous. We can't do anything miraculous in and of ourselves. Every gift of the Holy Spirit, any miraculous thing, works as the Spirit wills, not as we will. So, like Jesus, and Jesus told the disciples, and, and by extension us, in, without me, you can do nothing. Paul, in and of himself, we, in and of ourselves, cannot do anything miraculous. It's all done in humility and respect for God as the Spirit wills. But it was Paul's mindset that made him a candidate for God to work through. He had his mind set on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God's righteousness. He had decided that no problem or circumstance was going to keep him from living for God and fulfilling the call of God on his life. See, the church at large needs to get a hold of this. Do we think Paul or any other person in the Bible that we look up to would, would have been intimidated by the Antichrist or by the mark of the beast? Of course not. That's one of the reasons we look up to them. But in recent years in the church, we have become too reliant on other believers. What do I mean by that? You know, what, 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 I mean, isn't the church the place you're supposed to go to get your needs met? Well, yeah, in a sense. To a, to a degree, yes. I mean, first of all, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to us. If we're having trouble and where there's some kind of disconnect, I've had in the, at the time past where I've been praying and, and believing God for something, and then God might direct me, okay, go, go, to, go to the church and have, and, and have your brothers and sisters agree with you. Maybe your faith needs a little help right now. You know, but primarily, we're supposed to look to God for all of our needs. And so let me, let me illustrate this idea of maybe, us, maybe the church being too reliant on one another. You know, I, I remember one time I was working alongside a prophet who uh, had a powerful ministry. And he hadn't arrived yet. You know, uh, we were setting things up. I, was in, uh, I, I mean, uh, we were setting up. I was in charge of the music. I was leading worship. So I was overseeing the setting up of the band and the sound, you know. And I'm just waiting for this minister to arrive, and I kept looking toward the door, waiting for him to get there. And when he finally walked in, I made my way straight to him and gave him a hug. And as I walked back to my place, 
the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you went and hugged him so that the people would see you hugging the prophet. Well, immediately I was convicted in my heart. I confessed that sin to the Lord right there and said, Lord, I'm, uh, you're right, I'm sorry. Because I searched my heart and I knew it to be true. Lord, I'm sorry. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9. That gets me back in the kingdom when I mess up. But you might ask, how is that relying on the man? It's because I was making use of the man's reputation to make the people think I was someone special. Because I must be someone special if I can just walk up and engage the prophet on such familiar terms. Really, I was looking for validation. But the mind of Christ, the way Jesus thinks, does not get validation from, from man. It only matters what God thinks of us. That's the only validation we need. I had to learn the purpose of my relationships with other believers at times is for them to help support me in things, but primarily it's to do the work of the ministry together, side by side. Jesus said, pray, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. The laborers work side by side. God works side by side with us too. But it, it, if we're going to work together in God's field, it takes personal relationships to do that. But I, if you think about it, how many personal relationships can anyone maintain regularly? I mean, how many genuine relationships? How many relationships can you maintain on a regular basis? 40? 60? 100? 300? Realistically, what is your maximum sphere of influence? What is, what is the, with the time and the energy that you have, what is the maximum sphere of influence that you can maintain? Imagine if there was suddenly such a big revival in the United States that every church in America suddenly had 1,000 new people eager to learn about the things of God. It can happen. With God, all things are possible. Well, does the American church, I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about the American church in general. D does the American church have enough structure within the church that, that we could feel that kind of rapid growth? Or would some people slip through the cracks? Would we be able to foster the relationships necessary to equip them for the work of the ministry? Let's lower that number and say each church only had 100 new people that came every service to seek God. The only way we could do it, and I'm just being honest, practically, the only way we could do it is if we learned as a church how to network much better. we would need more than just the pastor and board members or really any person in leadership. We would need more than just that structure of people who are trained up to feel that many people's questions, develop relationships, um, train them up, teach them, pray with them, be an ear for them when they need it. Because when a person first gets saved, 
it's it, it just it, it they they need they they're going to need some care. They're going to need some more help than than somebody who's been saved for a long time, or at least <laughs> some people have been saved for a long time and still need a lot of care. That's not really where God wants them. He wants them to get in the Word and and, and grow, mature more spiritually. Because when we're talking about spiritual maturity. I mean, you know, think about a baby. When a baby is first born in the hospital, do the parents leave them there and say, "Oh, they'll be fine." You know, they 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 got born. They'll they'll be okay. No, it's a baby. Babies need care. And so this is why I say we're going to have to get much better at networking. We're not going to, we're going to have to not mind. I mean, I'm talking about everybody in the church. We're not going to, we're going to have to not mind taking our time and help people in the beginning and get them to a place where they're mature so that they can turn around and now do the same thing. But see, we're all going to have to not mind doing that, and I think that a lot of us in the church don't have a problem with that, but we have a problem with communication as far as that's concerned. Because a lot of, a lot of um, people who just get saved, they have this uh, thinking that I, I need to get to somebody in leadership. It's, it, you know, just some random person in church is not going to be able to help me with this. Well, that, that thinking is wrong, and that's one of the things that we need to address when we start talking to them about things. But people in the church still have to be willing to talk to them, even if they're going to get rejected because, oh, they're not the pastor, they're not the, they're not the deacon, they're not the worship leader, whoever. Um, we're going to have to get better at communicating who, I'm, who, who, who have I have been talking to, who have you been talking to, who have you been speaking with, who have you been praying with, so that we can work together in this field. The, the, any, any, any people who come into the church who need Jesus are going to be part of that. They're, they're, they're that field. We're the workers in the field. Okay? And, you know, that's why I say that, that all of us are pouring into these people's lives, not just people in leadership. It can't, it, it can't only just be the people in leadership if, if we're going to see a huge revival. Or I should say, if there is a revival and we don't change the way we're doing things. I'm t- again, I'm talking about the church at large. If we don't change how we do things, then we're not going to be as effective in the harvest, and people will slip through the cracks. We will lose people. And it's, it's all of us to do this work. It's the work of the ministry, because the Word says that the purpose of pastors, teachers, evangelists, uh, prophets, apostles, is to equip the saints for that work. All the saints are to do this work. Anyone who is saved doesn't matter if you hold a leadership position or not. As a pastor, I equip people for the work. As a saint, I also do the work. But I can only do so much. I can't, I, I, you know, I, I only have so far that my time and my energy can go. But then we need to ask ourselves, though, if God is able to add daily to the church those who are being saved, and he is, who is really waiting on who? The church has been praying for revival for decades, but are we ready for it? Have we, have we made ourselves ready? You know, if we don't have the mindset that Paul had, if we still rely on others in the church to make us feel validated, are we, are we ready? If, if I, you know, imagine, you know, back then, if I, I mean, I felt like I needed to 
feel validated by the people at church by by seeing by by them seeing that I was talking to somebody special. I wasn't ready at that time. I didn't understand. I was still looking to man for the things I needed. Was I mature enough? That was I ready to actually help people who just came to Christ? Well, maybe I could have done a little bit, but I can guarantee you I, I, I w- would not have been nearly as effective as God had wanted me to be. So, you know, and I, I bring this up, I, you know, I, I, I mean, a couple years back, I was walking up to the church, just at the double doors here, I was walking up and I was asking God a question. You know, when I ask God questions, I don't expect him to answer necessarily right away. Or, um, you know, I mean, just, I mean, I just know he listens. You know, God's not, God does not, uh, as a person, he's not the most talkative. May not seem that way because of how much he said in here, but this is over thousands of years. You know, God may not be the most talkative, but he, he, he always says what's needed. And so, you know, I just asked God a question. I said, is the church, is this church ready for, say, 100 people to come in? That's exactly what I asked him. I said, is this church ready for, you know, growth of 100 people to just walk through the doors? And he didn't answer, which I, I wasn't expecting an answer. And then I stopped and I, I checked myself and I said, am I ready for that? And he spoke to my heart. And he said, that's the question. See, because if I'm still, if I'm still stuck in a, partially, a partial way of thinking that the world identifies with, if I'm, still, if I'm still looking for man to validate me or any other need that I might have, then I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God. I, 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 that disqualifies me from all these things being added to me, does it not? If I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God, I will do, uh, I, 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 will, I will have trouble in that area. But then if I am seeking first the kingdom of God, I will do whatever he says regardless if I like what he says to do. Um, another problem that we have in the American church, and it's something that's easily rectified, but God may say, Go to this church, and myself included in this, and a lot of people have said, I don't like that church. Did God ask me if I like that church? Did God ask me if I like the pastor or the music, or did he ask me if I like their children's program? If he said go, I'm going to have to go if I'm actually seeking his kingdom, because he's the king. He's my king. If he says, do this, I should do it. Regardless if I like the way it looks or how it feels, you know, sometimes the work he calls us to cuts into our personal time. Sometimes, sometimes the work he calls us to feels lonely. Now you may be asking yourself why I went down this road. Because we are still talking about the end times. And being victorious in the end times. If the church is going to be properly hastening the day of the Lord's return, as the word said, we can, depending on how we minister in the end times, we can hasten his coming. We're going to have to get better at being more reliant on God and less reliant on each other. But at the same time, we need to work with each other more or more effectively. Amen. 
I believe God is using this crisis to shake up the way the church thinks. They, they've had to adapt, but they're going to have to adapt further to God's way of doing things if they're going to be victorious in the end times. Well, I mean, they're going to be victorious anyway, but how widespread that victory will be dependent on how people react to the end times based on this, based on God's word. So let's go ahead and, and uh, turn one last place in the word before we close. Revelation 12. I'll bet you did not think we were going to end this one this way <laughs> by talking about all this. Look at verse 9. Revelation 12. It says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice, excuse me, saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So here we see Satan overcome by the believers in the earth. It said, you know, he said uh, they overcame. Well, who? Because it's the, we know it's the believers in the earth because he said they, Satan was accusing the brethren day and night before God's throne. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Remember a couple weeks back we read in 1 John that we... That we have overcome Satan because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's the Holy Spirit living big on the inside of us. Now, here, we're being told that we overcome also by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's the testimony Jesus was talking about when he said we would be his witnesses in the uttermost parts of the earth or to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why are we putting such an emphasis on Jesus? You'll notice we've been putting a huge emphasis on Jesus today. And some people might ask, why are we putting such a huge emphasis on Jesus when we're talking about the end times? Instead of maybe putting an emphasis on the world order, the Antichrist, or the mark of the beast. Because we overcome them by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is another way of saying us holding fast the confession of our faith. And what was the first confession of faith we made as believers? That Jesus is our Lord our king. Jesus is the reason that going through any amount of the end times is worth it. He is the reason. He is, God tells us in the scriptures, I am your portion. I am your reward. If we don't put the focus on Jesus, there's nothing good to focus on in the end times. Amen. Well, this is all we have time for right now on this subject. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you help us to retain these things and think on these things, and meditate on these things, and help us, Lord, to uh, keep our minds stayed on you, to put on the mind of Christ and find that life and peace in you. And help us to, to be uh, mindful of your kingdom so that when you tell us to move, we move. When you tell us to speak, we speak. When you tell us what to think on, we think on those things things that are above. Thank you, Father God. I pray, Lord, that everyone listening to this, Lord, that you provide for their needs. Once again, 
Help them. Let them taste and see that you are good. Help us all to grow in understanding and grow in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Well, bless you guys, and I will see you again next week.